Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving your kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and definitely messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. This was a really fun episode for me. I got to sit down with my uncle, Michael, and talk about fatherhood with him. He was the uncle that everybody wanted to hang out with, super good to my brother and I, and we would just hang out and always look up to him. And he's still on a very short list of dudes that I call when I need advice. So I'm looking forward to you uh, hearing from his wisdom. A couple things that stuck out to me was him talking about not getting old being in shape but having a good reason for it, wanting to still hang out and play with his kids, uh, snowboarding and wakeboarding and fun stuff as adults, and being ready to be a grandpa at some point and being in a place where he could uh, be there for those grandkids. Talked about noticing people and paying attention to those around you, and then also the balance of having a blended family. So this is a really wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy. If you like it, please share it. Go on Instagram, Facebook, share it, send it to somebody, like it, write a review. All those things help to get the word out that fatherhood matters. Enjoy this conversation about fatherhood. Here we go. All right. I am at my Uncle Michael's man cave in Southern California. What's up, Uncle Mike? Yo, what's happening, Edward? Dude, it's super good to see you. Super rad to see you, too. Ned is a super stud for getting up this morning at five, getting his workout in, hitting the plane. Thank you. Thank making you. it to Lake Elsinore, doing a interview with a rad dad who's a great friend of mine, and uh, and then making it over here. It's currently a little after eight p.m. Yes, sir. And uh, we just had awesome dinner that Aunt Jen made. Yeah, yeah, super good Cajun style food. And now we're here. Yeah, and the boys just done in one day, huh? That's right. Yeah, and it was a pretty good day. It was a good day. So, Uncle Michael is the the fun uncle that everybody wants to hang out with. It's still probably that way. Everybody loves Michael, wants to hang out. (laughs) Um, But he was super good to my brother and I uh, when we were kids. Got us our first quad and got us into riding, and then we'd always have fun. and so I was thinking of a couple fun stories that I would share. So he would use, he used to come over to our house when we were kids. And when he would come over, we would get ready for him with water balloons and squirt guns. <laughs> I mean, it would be, we'd have the hose up on the roof, turned on, ready to go. And you'd come and just game on. No worries. <clears throat> get you soaking wet if we could. You guys had to up your game every time to try and, uh, <laughs> yeah. try and get me. Yeah. So fun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we used to have a lot of fun with you. Always, and always you guys outside. Were kind of like a trial run for me for kids. It was cool. Yeah, that's true, huh? Because your boys. I didn't have boys at, at the, the time. At the time yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was uh, the boys that I that I wanted, and luckily I got blessed with two boys uh, and two girls, um, but two boys first, and uh, that was uh, that was my Ned and Nick replacement. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, another memory is um, when I was 15, we lived in NorCal, you lived in SoCal, and me and my buddy went on a motorcycle trip, and uh, Nick, 
I want Nick and I, <laughs> another Nick, and we came, we did like Dumont and Glamis and a, it was awesome. I don't know how my parents let me go. He was 16 in his truck and I was 15 and we came and crashed at your house for a day or two. That's right. And uh, we were in your jacuzzi. <laughs> you came home from work and you're like, who drank some of my beers? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's so many beers in there. I can't believe this guy counted yeah. them all before he left for work. I but... say that every time I come home. Still. <laughs> oh, yeah. You never even counted them. You just knew. Damn it. Got us. <laughs> That's awesome. Dang. I'm going to have to remember that one. Who drank my beers? Just wait for the looks on their faces. Guilty. <laughs> yep. That was us. Anyways. Um, okay. So, so people get to know you a little bit. How old are you? Uh, I am 51 years old and we had a killer. Okay. Let's add another story. Killer 50th, uh, birthday party last yeah. year where we went, I mean, 25 people, two day river rafting trip and yeah. you had two broken arms, two broken arms <laughs> and a head injury. I had a, a bandana wrapped around my head. I broke both my arms in a mountain biking accident, uh, a week before we went, I went to the doctor and they said, yeah, you bought yourself two casts. I said, i really appreciate your story and um <laughs> i believe you and i'll let you put those casts on me after i come back from my rafting trip oh my gosh because they won't let me on that boat with, with two, bro- two broken arms and casts and and so she laughed and um thought that i was kidding and i wasn't and so i left and, <laughs> and i came back uh, after that trip we had a stellar time what a what oh an amazing gosh. trip so much killer so much it was love. near yosemite two days on the on the tuolumne r- tuolumne yeah and uh, it wasn't it wasn't uh, any pansy rafting. It was some, some good fun uh, ripping rafting. <clears throat> and then I went back after that, and I let her put a cast on one arm. I kept the cast on for three days, and I had to cut it off to fit into a tuxedo for a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> did you, I, did you cut it off in this very room? Uh, no, we did it behind uh, one of the work trucks at the oh shop. Oh my gosh! So, um, just cut it off guys yourself. Pull out a multi tool and, and just uh, cut it. Just cut it. Yeah. Oh my good. gosh! Nonstop, right? Right. <laughs> All right. So fifty one. That's well, kind of been my whole life. Yeah. I've been, I spent my whole life in a cast or some surgery or and, something. Yeah. Four kids. Uh, what do you do every day for work? So I'm a plumbing contractor. Um, so every day for work, I make sure water's flowing in the right direction for people and help them out however I can. I uh, employ um, five plumbers. I have an office manager that runs my office, and my wife and I are involved very much in the business, uh, a day to day, uh, grind, uh, nonstop. So we're, it, we're busy, busy, yeah. busy. With, with and have business. you've been doing plumbing your whole life, right? Uh, pretty yeah, much, pretty much since building I, your business. Since I was a kid, I was like 13 years old and running calls with my brothers and they'd give me all the terrible jobs that they didn't want to go do. Here's $5 <laughs> to climb underneath that house filled full of sewage, uh, oh go get the dead cat out of there and bring these pipes while you're at it. Here's five bucks. You know, I was all right, cool. cool. Great. I want to do this for the rest of my life. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, okay. Four kids, plumbing, 51, <laughs> married cool house we're sitting in your man cave with the pool table and um done well <clears throat> as you think back so a couple questions as you think back over be- becoming a dad and being a dad kind of at any age what has been some of the best resources to you as a dad mm. i mean it's a really simple answer as far as the resources it's 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 god you know, mm. every day looking to him to say, okay, I know that 
I was raised to know that I'm responsible for these blessings that you've given me and, and that someday I will answer for how I've taken care of these blessings. So please guide me to what you want me to know, what you want me to do, because I don't have the answers. I didn't go to school to be a parent. None of us did. Yeah. And we just kind of, you know, we were talking about it earlier, how it's like, you know, somebody was asking, well, what do I do with the, with the child? How do I raise him? And it's like, well, none of us really know until we just are there and you doing, start doing it. it. So, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, I looked at everywhere for my resources. I looked to, um, you know, sometimes YouTube, you know, <laughs> you go to YouTube university, but, uh, I'll, you know, I talked to my mom, my dad and, and, uh, other friends. I have a great relationship with other dudes that are strong leaders, strong parents, and when I'm struggling for the answers and how to, you know, get the solution, um, you just talk to people. Just talk, talk, talk. You and I have had plenty of conversations yep, where it's like, definitely. it doesn't matter how old you are. It's, what do you know? You know, right. forget about the age thing. Is where's, where's the wisdom? Where's your heart? And do you know somebody that has a good discernment to be able to decipher, you know, what's, uh, what's right and what's wrong? And sometimes we just get so caught up in the moment. We don't know what that is. And we've got to reach out to to somebody else that's going to be able to give that answer. It's pretty important to cultivate friends, especially as men in our day. I don't know that we have friends as, as close as we used to. And so cultivating those relationships with other dudes, um, who are at the same season as you further along in life, you know, maybe, you know, not where you're at. Um, but I, I think it's almost like a lost art. Like you are really a relational person and are mm. really good at that. Um, and I think that people could really gain a lot from, I mean, having somebody to call, like who's your Barry, a body buddy? Who do you, who do you have that's so close at 2 a.m. you call them? I forget somebody talked about this, but you call them at 2 a.m. say, hey, I need your help. And they're never going to ask you any questions. And they'll help you bury the body, you know? Yeah, well, that's the old saying, you know, a good friend will, will bail you out of jail uh, when you call him, but a great friend will be sitting next to you in jail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a few great friends. That's uh, awesome. You know, who's my who's my guy? You know, Nick Fenner. I mean, that goes without yeah. even saying. He's the guy that <laughs> would be sitting that, next that to you. A, that buries a body, you know, for you at two o'clock in the morning with no questions asked. Uh, so, how do you cultivate good friends? <clears throat> how have you How have you done that? I think that if you know, I think it's kind of like. I look at my relationship with Christ and he loves us. We love him because he first loved us. And so you've got to be able to throw that out there. And so I think if you just project love um, to whoever it is, then it's who it bounces off of sometimes is, is how you figure out who's, who's going to be that person. And so I've always just thrown that out there. I've tried to be a vessel of light and whatever it is that I do always, you know, try and be a vessel of light in dark places. And then next thing you know, there's, there's other light that comes out of those dark places and it doesn't even have to be a dark place. It just, you know, it happens to show up and, and, um, and then you invest in that, you respect it. You, you, you see people for, for who they are and, uh, and they see you who, for who you are. And it's just kind of a natural fit. I've, I've never had much of a problem with being able to find talent and so many people, you know, I think of a really good friend, you know, who was my first employee and, uh, He's been my best friend for the last 20-something years. And uh, so many people told me, why are you hanging out with that guy? Give up on him. He's, you know, that's not the right person for you and everything else. And God's just tapping you on the shoulder the whole time saying, no, 
that is the guy stay yeah. stay there's a reason for you to be there so i think that when we have ears to hear and eyes to see it's really easy to to figure out you know who you want to cultivate your those relationships with and uh, yeah I've, I've noticed with you too and this is something that i struggle with is like i like to get in and get a appointment or a job or whatever done and just move on to the next thing i'm working on mm. um because <clears throat> i'm on like such a tight schedule it seems as though like when you show up to do a job for somebody or whatever that you're fully engaged and present and like if it takes an extra 20 minutes or half hour hour to ask and look and really see if there's a need there that you are always there to meet other people's needs regardless of if you had something planned yeah I think my mom probably pointed it out to me when I was a kid at school and uh, I think she came and visited me one day there and, and saw that there was somebody that wasn't uh, playing. They didn't have a friend. And she said, see that guy over there? That's somebody that needs a friend. Go be a friend for that person. And so ever you remember then, that exact event? Mm -hmm. How old were you? I was probably in second or third grade. Sheesh. And um, <clears throat> why did it stick out to you? Uh, because I feel like that's what I still do today. I don't know why it stuck out to me then. And I guess maybe it's just, you know, one of those things that you stopped focusing on yourself and you focused on somebody else yeah. and what their needs were. And it felt good to be mm. able to say, oh, cool. okay, now there's not another lonely person, you know, and, and I, and that's because of me, because I yeah. stepped up to, to, uh, make a difference in somebody's life. Reminds me of a, a story, you know, that I heard at one point where a kid, um, had, severe depression and nobody would pay attention to him and he didn't want to live and he wrote a, a a suicide note and it said you know if just one person will look at me and just look at me in the eyes and see that there's a person inside of here and just acknowledge me and say hello to me yeah then i won't do it i won't jump off the bridge and the way that they found this letter is because he did jump off the bridge. Not one person, you know, Sheesh. came in contact with him. And then after, you know, finding the body, they went back to his apartment and they, and they read this letter and, you know, through the lesson, it was that, and, and this was during a seminar that I was at and, and I heard this and, um, and they, they said, now we want you to, to walk around this room aimlessly as we tell the story. And when you bump into the next person, stop and open your eyes and look at them and, say to them, I choose to give so that you can live. Hmm. And so after that, they put us on silence. And for the whole rest of the night, you know, you were to journal about, you know, your thoughts and how it is that you react like this. How many people do you see at a grocery store? How many people, how many, how many times do we do this with our kids, our wives that we walk in and we're so wrapped up into our own lives that we don't even look and see what's going on with the warm market of people around us, our, our family and friends, let alone the people that we run into at the grocery stores yeah. and, and our jobs and so on and so forth, or even our employees daily. And, and so, uh, when I, when they, put us on, you know, the next morning I wake up, it's like seven o'clock and I, there's 80 people in my class and I'm walking around that can't speak to each other. And I grabbed somebody, I stopped, I looked at them, I looked them in the eye and just kind of nodded my head and they understood, you know, that I was making this contact and that they mattered. And yeah. the next thing I knew, I saw all 80 of those people like wildfire spreading and stopping and hugging and embracing each other. And that's how it went for the whole rest of the week. That's with, killer. On this retreat. And it was so contagious when we just stopped and acknowledge for just a second that people around us have this soul there. They have these thoughts just like us. There's this whole world going on inside of their mind. 
that and you have no idea what their needs are, stop for just a second and just ask. So you know, some t- yeah, do you need anything? Can I be here for you? Are yeah. You know? And so that when you do that now, that's it, it applies into your work life and every customer that I go to, you try and make some sort of a, a personal touch. Some of them don't want it, and some of them are so hungry for it. They're an elder, elderly couple that that were together forever, and the husband died, and the wife doesn't know how to how to cope with with things, and all she needs is just a hug and somebody to listen to her. You know how how much time does that really take to yeah. to do? And God continues to put those people in front of you, and you know life uh, just becomes a beautiful place to be. Yeah. That's cool. So I sometimes find that it's easier for me at work to either be kind to like an employee or to a customer. I don't know why. And then I come home and be an asshole to my wife or my not give my kids the best. So like, how do you give, you know, clearly we want to be good to our customers and our teams and whatnot at work. How do you also bring that same intentionality of like noticing your kids and your spouse with that same, like, I want to be present and see you as a person. I guess I just kind of look at it as do unto others as you would have done unto you. I didn't have a lot of that interaction with my dad. Um, it was, you know, he came home and off to the couch he went and the time that I had, with him was, you know, to go and cuddle on the couch with him and watch TV, but we didn't really talk and, and, and get into things. And, and so later in life, I kind of felt a void and I look at, you know, life is like a constant do over. Um, you want to do the do over, but sometimes you can't rewind the clock. And so if I could rewind the clock and recreate my own childhood, I'm going to do it through my own kids. And so when I see the things that I missed out on, I can, now relive that through them and say, but they're not going to miss out on it. So, you know, you just got to see my kids come in and hang out and play pool and work on their motorcycles and stuff. And, and there wasn't, you know, Hey, go away. We're doing whatever it's, it's stay. If you want, there's a relationship you know, there. There's a relationship there. Exactly. And, and so everybody wants to feel welcome. I always wanted to feel welcome being the youngest of nine kids. I yeah. didn't, I didn't. Uh, so let's pause there. Youngest of nine over here. Yeah. Nine. Now, just to give you a brief breakdown of who my mom and dad were, um, my dad had an alcoholic for a father, and um, he ended up dying on Skid Row. And his mother uh, wasn't exactly uh, perfect. He left and went into the military at 16 years old, and uh, and then uh, sent the money back to take care of his his, uh, his mother and his, his, uh, brother and the Marine Corps became my dad's father. And that was what raised him and molded him into be this iron fist, this, this rough and tough kind of guy. My mom was the velvet glove that went over that, that tried to help polish yeah. that. And, um, when my, my dad came back from Korea, he was, uh, <clears throat> he had tuberculosis. My mom had already had three children. She was pregnant with her fourth and, um, and they had to be quarantined and the three kids had to live in different homes. The, my mom just cried all the time in the hospital when she would sleep because they told her that 
if she was positive, she would heal fast. But when she fell asleep, her subconscious kicked in, and that's when she wept because she missed her kids and she was sad. She missed her husband. Hmm. Now, on the flip side, there, my dad in another hospital uh, has uh, a lung that's severely infected with tuberculosis. They're going to remove uh, half of his lung. He's six foot four, 250 pounds and a very large man and to take out half of his lung was going to severely shorten his lifespan. And, um, and so this was a, a major change. My dad had an old girlfriend from high school that was so heartbroken that she didn't get to marry him, uh, that she joined a, a convent, became a nun. She heard that he was sick. She went into the hospital and, um, had, prayed over him while he was sleeping unbeknownst to him and, and blessed him with holy water from Lords. Uh, he had these crazy dreams. He woke up, told the doctors, you're not touching me until you, you know, do another x-ray. Something's happened to me. And they said, no, 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 Mr. Newt we, we got this. Wow. We, we, uh, we know that you're, you know, we're doing the surgery in the morning. And so he, um, he said, sorry, that's not happening. And I'm a force to be reckoned with. So don't, and so they, they said, okay. So they, uh, they x-rayed him and they came back and they said, we don't know how to explain it, but you had a miracle performed on you and you're wiped 100% clean. You can go home. And they told my mom and dad, do not have any more children. There's been too much trauma that's happened to your body and so forth. And my mom and dad said, you know, if God can do this for us, then we're not going to even question whether he wants us to have more children or not. If he's, if he wants it, then it'll be allowed in our life. And five more kids, you know, come along with, well, uh, six more because she had she was pregnant with Eric and then five more and then I, I get to be number nine so had they listened to the doctors I wouldn't you know be yeah. telling the story right now wow um, that's crazy but uh, anyway so that's you know a, a, a brief breakdown of my my parents and um, and you know being the youngest of nine kids and being so lucky to uh, to, to be here and so just that story in itself tells me that God had a plan for me you know, to be able to like get through all of that and say, yeah, but there's just going to be one more and then one more and then one more. And every one of us has been, I think, just a, an incredible vessel of light uh, in each in their own way. You know, each each one has our own craft, our own skill. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. So at what point did you feel like you had a good relationship with grandpa, your dad? Hmm. I guess you could say I've always had a good relationship with him. Um, my dad loved me very much. He just was tired by the time that <laughs> number nine came around. Yeah, you know, no and, doubt. And, and it had just been through so much. Uh, there was a lot of times that I didn't understand that and I held resentment. But then later as I became a parent, then I realized just how much work it takes just to get through a day of work let alone come home and now be so selfless to say, okay, I'm going to burn the midnight oil and I'm going to throw the ball with you and play catch and go swimming with you and ride bikes and so on and so forth. You know, I, I get it. You know, you got eight others that you're tending to, you've got a house you're, you're tending to, you got a business you're tending to, and now you're trying to take us to the desert and, and, you know, be there for everybody. There's, you know, there's just so much. You've got five kids. You know how hard it is to yeah. individualize each one of them and spend that time. Yeah, you know, double that number. Yeah, and, exactly. And tell me how you know, how easy. Yeah, it is. at that point, you're the kids are kind of the ones taking care of each other and doing life together. Mm. You're more just holding it all down. Yeah. Uh, so one last question for you um, before we get into the next part is, um, you got remarried, and how long have you been married 
to Jen? Uh, we've been married. Should get, give me a hard time if I don't get this right. Uh, 12 years, almost together for 15 years. Together for almost 15 years, I'll just say. Um, and uh, it has been quite a wild adventure. Um, we dated for two and a half years, uh, long distance from Idaho mm. um, to uh, to here, 850 miles apart while we raised our kids. Um, and she was raising her kids there and you were raising your kids here. Correct. And trying to navigate, okay, I don't want to do this alone. And I found this person. I mean, how do you make that decision to go like them and us? Um, it's not easy. You, uh, but when you know it, when you feel it, when you believe it, yeah, and you know that it's, uh, you know, something that's God get, God's gonna bless. You just have to be willing to put the work into it. Um, then you go for it because the work's worth it. And you know, I couldn't be happier with the spouse that I have. That I've been blessed with a second chance to have a marriage that um, that works, marriage that uh, supports itself. Um, you know, through each other, giving an equal share. And sometimes one is given that hundred percent, while the other one can't. And uh, if yeah, I mean, carry each other. Yeah, yeah. Earlier when we were talking about it. You were just saying how the the patience and grace that you felt that she had for you as you guys are making this, not just the transition of, all right, let's each raise our two kids together, but the adventure of, okay, it's been 15 years, 12 years of doing it together and seeing them through middle school and high school and sending them off into the world that you guys are doing right now, that there's been this sense of patience i'm assuming you've both had for each other oh yeah you know you have <clears throat> blending a family is probably the hardest thing that mm. you would ever have to do as a parent because you try so hard to make each one feel like they're your birth child and mm. that uh, that they're you know accepted and they don't have to believe that they're your birth child because the truth you know is is okay too it's great to have two parents but you want to love them the same way that you yeah. your birth child and uh that's not always easy when they're not so lovable and uh or when i'm not so lovable um and so uh, thank god for patience uh, to be able to realize that there's more to it than than the disagreement or the tension or the fight or the or whatever it is that you're going through that that's your struggle and um <clears throat> so i'm so grateful for her patience with me to be able to get through all of the meanness because I know I'm not a perfect person by any means and I strive to be the best I can be but that doesn't always look pretty and yeah. so when you have somebody that can still just love you for you for who you are and you know so many people would not want a spouse that brought home stray cats and stray dogs all the time, you know, meaning people and their projects and the, and the lives, you know, that you're working with that are your ministry on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, because maybe they're not wired the same way, but for my spouse to be so patient and to say, you know, I'll let you be you. Cause I know this is the way that God designed you to be. And I very naturally let her be her and, yeah. and, it, and it works. It flows so well. Mm. Dude, that's awesome. And it seems like you guys have a lot of fun together, which is cool to see and that you enjoy some of the same things and are able to kind of have that do over, like you said. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 That's rad. So 
there's a there are second chances in life um, when who you were doesn't always have to determine who you're going to be and uh that's good yeah so anyways that's all i got to say about that it's and, perfect. Uh, and you know just to, to top it off i i have two daughters and what a blessing uh they are for a man to get an opportunity to uh experience the 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 soft love from a little girl's heart that uh, that boys just can't deliver. There, you know, boys are different, but the girls have been so blessed to be able to um, see such beautiful little girls grow up into young ladies, and uh, very very proud of them as as well. They are a huge part of my life, and um, they have been a great source for me to have wisdom for later on down the road to hand down to my kids. Um, as they raise their children. So, um, it's good. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. (laughs) So, okay. Um, the podcast is fatherhood field notes. The idea is meet with a dad who's lived some life and has just this whole life, uh, to share. And so we kind of open up our field notes and share some stuff. And, um, but before we do that, uh, rebel and create is kind of the mantra behind the whole thing. And, and it can mean so many different things, but at its core, it's to rebel against the status quo of either what a man's supposed to look like in our culture or what you think you're supposed to look like for yourself, uh, the, what the world says, the church says, whatever. And you kind of tear down some, some, this is what status quo is. And then you create something out of that. So what is something that you have been rebelling against in hopes to create something out of that? Um, I would definitely have to say that I have been rebelling against getting old and um, and wanting to stay as youthful as I can. And um, when, you know, I would take my kids, you know, snowboarding and riding and wakeboarding. We were super active into everything. But the older I get, the more it hurts, you know, when I when I get back (laughs) up on the mountain after being off all season. And so it started with just conditioning my legs before snowboarding trips. And then, you know, of course, my back and shoulders and everything else are, are, are going bad. And so what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, because that's the only time that I can to be able to get to the gym, get my workout in, get my food in, get my alone time in before the rest of the world wakes up and gets a piece of me. So I'm rebelling against getting old and I'm creating a, uh, a healthier body. Uh, for one for me because I just don't like the pain that, that I constantly feel I've got sciatic pain really bad uh, all the time and uh, and so I'm constantly dealing with that but uh, two I just want to spend as much time with my kids and I want to be that grandfather that's like fit that can get out and go and do this stuff with my grandkids as well and I don't want to be the my dad said no to so many things because he couldn't do it your dad did my dad did yeah he, he couldn't do it he was he was you just old dude, you don't want to say no to your kids. No, no. So, dude, I, that's incredible. That's a great thing. And, and I think it's so encouraging to hear too, because you have a why behind why you're getting up to go work out. I mean, one, it is a little bit for yourself, but it's also because you want to be the best you can for those around you. And I think sometimes, you know, you hit your fifties maybe. And you're like, well, I want to get in shape and stuff, but there's not this really amazing why behind what's going to motivate you to go do that. So I think your reasoning behind it is what will keep you motivated. So, well, you hit 50 and you get a colonoscopy. 
you know, cool. that's what you can look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Let's ask the doctor. <laughs> Those sick bastards. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Brian just got one today. Uh, shout out to Brian Kiefer out there. <laughs> Happy colonoscopy day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So it's like you're... Your mid thirties, early forties, it's a vasectomy, and then ten years later, you're getting the colonoscopy. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Exciting. So yeah, so Rebell- that- rebelling against uh, getting old, not saying no to my kids, is is huge. And what's really cool about it is, because I've I've listened to your podcast, and there's so many young families. Like you, you guys all have kind of like almost the same age kids. I don't, I don't know. I haven't listened to all of them. Yeah, to you, but you're it you're like, right. It's more like yeah. I mean, my demographic, like thirty five to forty year olds. And, and I'm getting to the empty nest, you know, stage in my life. Yeah, we showed up. I showed up to your house tonight, and I, I showed up, and I came in the house for dinner, and I look around. I'm like, bro, it's quiet in here, you know. Yeah. And I was, we were kind of making a joke, like there's not a bunch of kids running around, homework going on, mm-hmm. different things, because you're all your kids are kind of getting to that stage where they move out. Um, which let's come let's so let's talk about that and then I have a question. So what's that like to to transition from you have four kids living in the home to kind of being an empty nester? I mean, what is that what is that like? I mean, your boys were just in here, you know, so you you clearly hang out with them still. So for you parents that are wondering what that's going to be like, it's awesome. It's, <laughs> it's, it is. It's wonderful. Um, but at the same time, it, it's just a bittersweet. It's, um, you're so proud of your kids and where they're at. I cannot even tell you how proud of my children that I am. Every one of them, they're freaking awesome. Uh, Nick is 23, soon to be 24, and he's getting married. Um, you know, and, and, Dude, that's another big thing coming yeah, up on you. It's like yeah. you're... Your son's about to get married, and, dude, and in a few have months. Kids and I'm going to be a grandfather, you know, and wow, what a trip and how, how fun that is. Um, and Nathan is just a little stud and, you know, he's a gym rat and he's good at everything that he does. He's got a good girlfriend. He's got a, he's a hard worker. He's, he's working two jobs and going to school and, and killing it. And Tristan's doing the same thing. And, and, and Jordan is just, you know, she's a straight A student. She's still in high school, but she's. She's crushing it, and uh, and so you know it's it's cool, but at the same time it's like we were talking earlier today. It's almost like we needed to hit the record button at seven o'clock this morning, but or nine, whatever we we're talking, and and it's uh, it's sad because you feel like the game's over, you know, in so many ways when they're gone. And you're like, I want to come home and have them be like, let's go for a bike ride, let's go, you know, wakeboarding, let's do whatever, and that's not there anymore, and. In, don't get me wrong. I enjoy coming home and just being able to relax and, and, you know, get into a book or whatever it is that Jen and I want to do. And we have plenty of great time together. We get on the Harley and go for rides and then enjoy ourselves. Um, but there's that part of, you know, I really want all of us to be together Yeah. and, uh, you don't get that anymore. So enjoy it. And that's one of the things that, you know, I, I love the saying of, I wish I knew the good old days were the good old days when they were the good yeah, old days. Yeah, for sure. And and so many times, you know, I look at like the busy car rides. I mean, my favorite times were my commutes to school with the kids in the car. I saw you made a post the other day about that and just the conversations that you have yeah. and the wisdom and the, and the talks that you have. Turn the radio off and let's just talk about us. And man, before you know it, you know, you're just onto some deep stuff and the kids don't want to get out of the car 
and you've imparted wisdom on them and they've imparted, you know, enlightenment, you know, to you of who they are and how their little minds are working. And, uh, and you don't get those, those things anymore. So sometimes you would just get so like, man, this is a bummer because I got to come home. I got to make the dinner and I got to do the laundry and help out with all these things. And, and you're, and you're not content until you look back later and look on it and you go, man, I sure wish I could have those busy days of getting up and driving to, to Temecula to, you know, take them to school or, or whatever. And so it's over too fast. Yeah. It's over too fast. And if you didn't stop and smell the roses while you were, while it was going on, you did yourself a serious injustice, you know, enjoy it then. Yeah. Enjoy it. Exactly. So it's funny you say all that because something that I wanted to bring up that you said to me one time, uh, it must've been two or three summers ago. So every summer you usually come up and go swimming in the rivers, um, up in Northern California and we hang out for a couple of days and you had the car full of, you know, all the old teens, young twenties, your kids with you. And I made a comment. We we're just talking about life, whatever. Um, like, man, I I'm so bummed. They're going to move out. Like I'm having so much fun with them. And you said, dude, you're always going to have fun with your kids. It'll be different, but you were having a killer weekend with your kids. And at this mm-hmm. point, they're staying up late with all the adults. You know, your your uh, Nick, at least at the time, could have a beer now. So you were kind of making the point like, they don't just move out at 18 and then it's over. You can still have fun with them. It might not be driving them to school and kind of the day-to-day making lunches and dinner and stuff. But if you're an intentional dad, father who's staying fit and in the game to go do stuff, they're not off snowboarding just by themselves. You're going snowboarding with them. Mm-hmm. You're going out in the desert. You might be in a razor. They might be on dirt bikes now, but you're figuring out a way to still have those adventures yeah. with your kids, which is awesome. And so it'll really open my eyes to go, oh, this is just one piece. Like there's many little seasons, you know, before your kids are 18, but then after they become adults and you get to go on a cruise with them or you get to go, you like do other fun adventures with them. We're doing a cruise in April, you know, for next, yeah, for next bachelor. And you know, how, how fun is that, that my son would invite me and not just invite me, but to have me help him plan. His yeah. He wants party. you to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have fun though. I mean, it's not like he's just like doing it out of pity. It's out of like, we have, a, we're friends. Yeah. We have a great relationship yeah. with each other to say, okay, now what are we doing next? What's our next adventure? And so when you, um, raise them up and you're close with them that way, there's no surprise that you just stick together for the rest of your life as buddies. Yeah. Which that really leads into kind of what I wanted to talk about. You know, I think, um, so much of the time, like maybe interviewing somebody and it's like, Oh, we've been married for, you know, 10 or 15 years and it's been so great and stuff, you know, cause a lot of the guys are 35 years old. Um, and so, you know, you've had a divorce and you have your two sons and then you have your two stepdaughters. And, and the thing that I wanted to bring up in that is you still cultivated this amazing relationship with your kids. And, you know, I mean, the reality is, is, is a lot of people get divorced and it's just part of our culture and part of our life. And I'm, I know everybody probably looks back, should have, would have, could have on a lot of different things, but you have your sons, you have your stepdaughters, um, you have your amazing marriage you have now. But the thing that I really wanted to point out as, as you and I talked about, started talking about fatherhood is a lot of us 
just as humanity, even as men, we're really hard on ourselves about looking back and, and growing, you know, and sometimes it's good because we grow, but then sometimes we're just super hard on ourselves. And before I let you jump in and say something, Nicholas, your 23 year old is doing some career searching right now. So he came up to my house. Funny enough, we planned this podcast today. He was at my house this last weekend for two days, three nights or three days, two nights, whatever. Um, kind of looking at what I do. And I was just so impressed by like what an amazing young man he is, you know, like I didn't, he can't like really well dressed for, for work. Like he should job shadowed me, right? Really well dressed, really well spoken, aware of what's happening, step in and try to help with whatever, even though he didn't know what it was confident, you know, confident, well-spoken, well-dressed when he entered my house, you know, he doesn't see my kids all the time, hugging my kids, knew their name, saying hello, saying hello to my wife, you know, look her in the eyes. We finish eating dinner. He's like, oh, Sarah, you made dinner. Let me clean it up. And and it's not like we're cousins that hang out all of the time, right? He's probably been in my house five times or something like that. Um, and then the last thing, you know, just to keep, you know, putting kudos on your back and your son is, uh, he's like, hey, can I pay for lunch? You know, I'm like, no, dude, you're here to work. I'm here, you know, can I help pay for my plane ticket? You know, um, uh, you know, and then I said, well, give me this much. And then when he left, there was more than what I said. And a note, like a beautiful written note, Ned, Sarah, thank you for your hospitality, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I brought it in the house of Sarah. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, look at this. You know, like what 23 year old is that in tune with confident in themselves and aware that it's not just about them. So as I thought about, okay, Michael and I are going to talk and there's a thousand things we could talk around, uh, around fatherhood as I've just looked up to you and called you dozens of times for, for advice is the reality is life is messy. We're all going to look back and go, man, what if, or should have, or whatever. But amongst the messiness of life, you, your sons are amazing, you know? I haven't spent as much time with Nathan, but you know, he called me a year ago to talk to me and we just had a great man to man talk. Mm. And, uh, I go, man, that takes balls to do that. And I say that like, cause we're dudes, mm. but it takes confidence. It takes like self-reflection of yourself, you know? Um, so anyways, man, how do you amongst the mess of life cultivate trust with your kids and prepare them for the world? This, I just thought I'd lay that simple question on you. <laughs> <laughs> really simple. Um, well, trust is something that's earned over a long period of time, and it, and it doesn't come easy. And uh, you know every kid thinks that they know it all at a certain age. And so uh, through the years of the kids, you know, I, this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I have stayed close and said, hey, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. So I advise that you don't, but if you do, just expect the outcome. And then when the outcome comes, I want you to remember what it is that I said. And so repeatedly, 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 uh, those type of things would happen. So when you would say something like that, would you tell them like, no, do not do this? Or would you more just say, let me lay it out for you and then let them experience it if they wanted? A lot of times I just let them make that choice. I explain to him, to them, I've been around long enough. I've seen my friends do these things. I've, I've, uh, if I if I haven't done it myself, I know somebody that has. Yeah. And so, uh, 
here's here's what goes on. I've shown them. I've I've brought in a lot of strays uh, through the years. It's just been kind of my mo uh, to find somebody in need and help them. Sometimes it pays out. Sometimes it doesn't. And I've kept them in the loop of what that looks like. So whether it be uh, an employee that I've brought in who happens to be a neighborhood kid who's struggling with drugs or or uh, you know, bad parenting or whatever the case may be. Um, and then I show him, look at what this guy's doing. We're trying to help him from this, but if he doesn't change, here's what's going to happen. Sometimes those kids will change and they'll see the outcome. And then sometimes they don't change and they see the downfall. Mm. And so they learn by all these things that are going on and then they want to go and make their own choices. And then they, uh, they learn, okay, well, uh, this is exactly what dad said. So I, maybe I should start trusting what he's telling me. And I remember one time, you know, I, I wanted to send Nicholas to, I sent all the kids to this class, but I sent, I wanted to send Nick to a self-development seminar before he uh, was uh, graduating high school to prepare him for college and, and, you know, him being on his own. And he fought me on it the whole time. And, and I said, Nick, I just want you to, to stop for just a minute and think of all the times that I've told you something and how many times did it come true at what point will you just trust me that what I'm that I'm never going to lead you into harm's way right I'm only going to try and help better your life please trust me on this one and he stopped and he surrendered and he said you're right and it was just like just like, hmm. a, like an epiphany to him that's like a rad moment all those things that you did tell me I can't think of one of them that you led me wrong on and so I'll trust you on this one when he got finished with doing the class he was sobbing and in gratitude. did you do it with him no no okay I, so you sent him so he needed, he to, needed do to do it, on his own on his own and um and and he had he had taught he was the youngest person in the class and he had taught so many of the adults so much from his presence of just being there and his wisdom and his you know um, submission to just surrendering and saying I am going to trust that my parents want the best for me and I'm just going to go with the flow and and he got so much out of it and he and at the end of it he he thanked me so much for. It, trusting him with the type of information that he was given and to see him as an adult that it could, could accept and grow from these things. And, um, and so it, it, you know, truth be told, he went through college, uh, in, in four years with, got his bachelor's degree, less than four years. Uh, he was away from home. He moved to another state. He was working two jobs. He was paying his bills to, you know, help, uh, with, uh, food and housing and everything else and standing on his own. And there was so much of that wisdom that he gained from that one moment of please just do what I'm asking you to do. Yeah. It's for your own good. And so that trust was there, but the yeah, trust yeah. came from years and years and years of lesson after lesson after lesson and staying close and bringing him into my inner circle of life, not just going to work or having friendships outside and that didn't have anything to do with, with them. I explained to them, Here's what's happening with your nephew. Here's what's happening with your uncle. Here's what's happening with that kid, that kid, this employee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and here's the whole wisdom, life lesson, and all of it. Pay attention so you don't fall into these same pitfalls. Yeah. So I have a few questions, a few thoughts. So um, you talked about having strays come through and what it sounded as though it was like kind of exposing your kids to real life. So do you felt like do you feel like you sheltered your kids from the things that were happening. And that sounds weird to say it that way, but do you, just let's say shelter. Do you feel like you sheltered your kids or did you expose them to like real life situations that people go through? 
Oh no, I didn't. I didn't shelter them at all. Um, I, I would say that I was. I used discretion uh, for the Perfect. things that they that they needed to know. Uh, but in terms of sheltering them, no, I don't. I don't think that that's a good thing to show. I, I think there's an appropriate time and age uh, for certain things to be exposed to to children, um, and when that time comes, then you know, an opportunity knocks, then, you know, open the door and, uh, and yeah. Show them and have inside. that courage to talk to the kid about it. Sounds like you had a lot of just, it's not even like you sat down and had a, let's have a real conversation. It was just like you, you spoke to them. Mm-hmm. So I love that. So I think that's a huge thing that I can learn from. And, and a lot of parents, I think, you know, we're so afraid of so many things now. So censorship, there's way too much censorship. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, so that's a really good little thing that I, I heard from you just there. Um, I really love that you sent him to the seminar without you. You said he needed to do this on his own. I think a lot of times we like, you've said a couple times like you didn't, you wanted to, in so many words, like give your kids this relationship with their dad that you didn't necessarily have, okay? But you weren't, you weren't doing it to make yourself feel good. You know what I mean? You, you, you still let your kids be themselves. It's not like you're living through them. You're letting them be their own people. And I love that you sent him without you instead of like, Oh, come on, let me show you the ropes. Let me show it all goes and like kind of strip away this first time going through something all on your own. Like there's a lot of power in that and wisdom as a parent to go, I need to step back. That's kind of hard, right? It's kind of like, you know, kicking him out of the nest and letting him fly. Yeah, but how old he was he was a senior in high school. I yeah. think parents I'm I'm kind of making a generalization, but parents are doing that at like 25 now. <laughs> it's like you're a senior in high school, like you started to see him at a certain point as becoming a man. Mm-hmm. And you gave him situations to to do that. Hmm, I just that's super good. Okay, another thought and kind of this one's more of a question than something I noticed is um, I sometimes worry like we have more money than when I was a kid. So I'm able to eat out a little bit more, maybe do some cooler trips or not. I don't want to say cooler. That sounds mean because my parents did incredible things. It's different. It's just different. Like today's age, like we just have so much more. So here's the question. You had a successful business. You were able to have, you know, things, do things with your kids. How are your boys not in touch? I keep saying boys, but that's because they're like kind of, I see them, it's fatherhood podcast. I'm looking at men going out, right? How are your kids not entitled little bastards mm-hmm. at 23 where, you know, if I'm at the drive-thru with Nick, okay, because we just had this weekend. We're at the drive-thru with Nick, and we're getting um, a smoothie and some coffees or whatever. I think that the, I'm 36, he's 23. The expectation would be that he would buy, but he pulls out his wallet and is like, here, let me pay for this this time, okay? And it's multiple times like that. So how do you cultivate that understanding? And you even said he went to college, had two jobs, paid for his own stuff. How do you, when you are living in this day and age, not create kids who just expect to get whatever. It's just the same thing. you got to talk to them about everything. And so when I look at, you know, the fact that we have these opportunities to have do-overs, like if I could rewind the clock and be a different me, 
the only way I can really do that is through my children because I can't rewind the clock, but I can at least say, hey, if I was 23 years old, what would I be doing with my finances mm. that would now project a totally different outcome for where I'm at at 50 because years old. Because 30 years of running your own business, you understand how money works now. When you're 23, you don't. Exactly. But you're trying to teach them now. But are you just trying to, like all of a sudden they're 20 and you're teaching them how money works? No. Or are you talking about it when they're no, 12? Talking about it when they're 12, when they're 10, when they're 8, you know, when they're when they're 5, when they're... Uh, when any, an so what are some practical out. steps? like, or, or practical, actual, how do you talk to a 12-year-old or... What do you do with kids when you talk about money? What are you telling them? Well, like, you know, when I let's let's rewind to when I was 12. Okay. And then I and I taught them the, kind of the same principles and the same story. When I was 12 or 13 years old, my mom came to me and said, "When you're 18, you're going to either be moving out of this house, paying rent, or going to college." And that I was, was just like, a standard that was set. That was it. And I was like, "Okay, well, uh, that's kind of a lot of pressure to think about now because I don't have even a clue of what a checking account is or anything else. So first we started them with savings accounts so that they had you know somewhere to put their money. Uh, we gave them allowances as well so that they had some sort of a budget to be able to work off of. My mom took me down and uh, I had picked a business that I wanted to do and it was painting numbers on curbs. And so she loaned me 20 or $40 to buy a set of stencils and some paint and the rest was up to me. And so now I had to go and knock on a door, ask somebody, you know, hey, I'm little Mikey Newpar and I want to paint your, your number on your curb for $3. Um, and How old were you when you did that? Like 12 or 13 years old. And whose idea was that? Um, it was... My sister had a boyfriend that that did that, and so I kind of got the idea from him, and um, and so I uh, went down and did this, and before I knew it, I was making fifty bucks a day at you know twelve years old, and back you know then Damn. that was like killer yeah. money, and then I got smart and I got I, I sold a bunch of the jobs. I said I'll be back tomorrow to do these, and then I got a neighborhood kid to go and do it for fifty percent of the profit. And so while he was doing those and I was making money off of his labor, I was selling more jobs and doing those jobs. And Dude, so I got my first employee, like 12 or 13 years old. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was great. Heck yeah. That's um, awesome. And, and so here was a really important lesson that I, that I learned. And this is, you know, kind of sharing something with you that, um, was probably the most impactful, um, lesson in my life, um, in terms of finances and in terms of how to treat people. That kid, I I ended up kind of screwing him over. Like I didn't quite pay him, you know, at one point or another in our relationship. I I I got greedy and I paid him forty percent or thirty, whatever the deal was. I, I I wasn't honorable to the deal that we made. And his dad called me over to his house and he said, "Hey, I've got these weeds for you to pull and this and that, you know." And and he sent me into the backyard and I did all the job that he did. And when it came down to him paying me, he paid me half of what uh, he the, what he owed me. And I went, well, Mr. Gregory, you know, what's, what's the deal? And he says, well, you, you did the same thing to my son. And so I just wanted you to understand, you know, this is how it feels. He says, do unto others as you would have done. Unto wow. You. What and a was, killer and, lesson. And oh was, my gosh. Well, it gets better. And that was the first time I heard those words, do unto others as you would have done unto you. And I had to stop and I think about it. And because it, you know, I was young and I didn't, you know, understand the verbiage. It right. made me have to dissect it and get it. And I went, wow, okay, this makes sense. And it wasn't maybe a couple weeks to a month that that kid, my, my best friend, you know, two doors down from me, got hit by a car and killed. And, what? and, uh, and it was like the guilt of 
not being honorable to him in that business deal just ate me up and I never wanted to feel that way again and I never wanted to ever be that way to somebody yeah. and so from you know that day forward I've always tried to play on a win-win level where it's win-win for both sides wow and um, and so I know it's a little bit off topic of no. how do I teach my kids how to you know be responsible with money and things like that um there's so many you know lessons in business you know when it comes down to ethics and making money it's not just about making money yep uh, but now fast forwarding into where they're at uh, we talk finances all the time and i don't spoil them over things they do see how hard i work for you know the money that we make and the, and the toll that it takes on my body and my mind and they're grateful for the things that they that they have so they don't come how do you cultivate level of, that level of gratitude do you think it's taught or do you think they just, some kids get it and some kids don't? I think that it's both. I think that some kids don't get it and some don't, no matter how much you teach it to them. It's, it's just a matter of, you know, whether they have selfish hearts and they need to have that lesson taught to them that I did that, you know, shaped me and snapped me into shape right away of, okay, well, if you're not getting it now, let's go ahead and, you know, up the stakes here a little bit. Not that God was playing some sort of a, you know, trick on me or whatever. Right, but right. Life was just speaking to me and saying, hey, man, if, if, if you didn't get it, let this be a, a, enough for you to fully yeah. understand that, yeah. you know, that be grateful for, for your friendship. Cause I remember being so upset with God that my, my friend had died and he, that he had passed away and, um, uh, in the car with aunt crystal and, uh, and we we're going to church and I didn't want to go to church and I was just kind of throwing a fit. And, and she says, let me stop you there for just a minute. If God were to take you and set you aside and say, you're not going to get this, this person, I'm going to give you this person. He's wonderful. And you're going to have the best relationship but after a few years, I need to bring him back with me. Would you tell God that you don't want the relationship or would you accept it without kicking and screaming at the end of the relationship? Would you be grateful? I'd be happy, grateful that it happened. And how old so, was Crystal at this time? She's probably, well, she's, I'm guessing she's 21. Okay. Um, and I was probably 13. Older sister. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, you know. So that's, I mean, that's. That's played a lot into, I mean, if you think about all the things that you and I've talked a lot about the last 45 minutes, I mean, even just that lesson at 13, you could go, wow, that lesson at 13 points to so much with your friend, with your friend's dad, with what grandma taught you. And that's, I mean, to me, fatherhood is all of those things. Fatherhood is not just, fatherhood's a, a way of life. Fatherhood's about service and, and taking care of each other. You know, it's not just about being a dad. It's a, it's this posture towards life that we not only get to bring life through, you know, a super fun act, but we bring life every day, you know? And I even love the neighbor. It's like so much of the times I think if my, my friend or my, my kids friends are little pricks, I'm just like, screw them in my head. But he took the time he, and he wasn't screwing you. He was teaching you like a dang, a killer lesson. Like we need to, we need to, and he wasn't worried about the name, like your dad being pissed or anything. I think we need to be okay with like, not just living on our suburban street and shutting the garage door, but like all working together to raise our kids to be like these great humans. I think a little bit of that's been lost, but I don't think it has to be. I think there's opportunity still for 
for those types of things to happen. Well, yeah, and they they're constantly paying attention to what it is that you're doing, and they emulate that. And I the think kids, the kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think of a, t- a time that Nick came home from school, and uh, and he says, "Dad, I, there's a, a a kid at school, and he's he's troubled, and and I think he's suicidal, and he needs to talk to somebody. Mm. What what can we do for him?" And you know, it's like, well, you want to invite him over and hang out, and, and of course you did, and and, wow. and so here's you know Nick at probably I don't know fourth grade level or something, already seeing that kid on the playground, like my mom, you know, pointed out to me, and seeing that he needed something, and and there his heart is already molded, already shaped, already seen, you know, where he can be a vessel of light to somebody in need. And, uh, and it's awesome when you look at that and you go, all right, cool, it's working. You know, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm parenting I'm, and I'm, I'm cultivating uh, something positive that's going to live on beyond me and, uh, and, and then what he hands down to his children and so on and so forth. And that's the legacy that, that carries mm, on. Dude, so, so good. Yeah. Okay, so I'm having this moment right now where I go, okay, this morning, you know, I was at home 500 miles away. You and I have like a quick call at 10 or at nine in the morning. We're talking about, all right, we're going to do this podcast. And, and you're like, man, I just finished listening to this, this, and this podcast. And these dads are like, oh, they're so inspiring. And it's, it's like really awesome, but almost in a way of like, what are we going to talk about? And as I'm sitting here listening to you talk and, and hear this amazing story with grandma and you and the neighbor kid and, and painting curbs. And then your son in fourth grade, something clearly is passed down from the way that you're living your life to your fourth grader. Who's probably nine years old to then be giving. If I'm driving in my car right now or working out, listening to this podcast, I'm going, man, the, the, that guy just gets it. Right. And the, the point I'm trying to make is like fatherhood is a level playing field. Each one of us men, our kids need us. They, they don't need somebody else. They need us. And you have what it takes. Like Michael has what it takes for his kids at what his kids' ages are right now. Like I have what it takes for my kids now. And, and, and a lot of days we won't hit the marks and we'll feel like <laughs> dirt bags, like we're not making it. But the fact that we're looking in the mirror saying that, like, frick, I want to get it. Like that's getting it, I think. Right. Because like we said, having a kid isn't this manual. Here you go. Like you do it perfect. No, you you're like reflecting and you're growing, you're thinking and you're it's like this all constant thing. But whoever you are, like you have what it takes. Like, like I, There's nothing special about me. Right. Other than I'm me and there's five kids that get to call me dad. Like that makes me the special guy to those kids. And same for you. Like you are incredible. I'm because, you know, for many reasons, but, but for these kids who get to look to you and you get to impart 51 years of life to them, but then also let them be themselves. I don't know, man. I'm just having this. It's just good. Well, dude. When you, th- when you think about it, I learned this in a parenting class that when you try to teach your children about who God is, they look to you as to see what God looks like. It's heavy. And, and when you realize the gravity of that and, <laughs> and, and that you're supposed to emulate, you know, Christ's love, his forgiveness, his compassion, his sacrifice, you know, to look at what Christ did for us. And now you uh, have to go and, you know, 
mirror that on a daily basis and know that it's so impactful. You think of the, the, the impact that Christ made for us and for the world, and they don't know him yet. Think of the impact now that you're supposed to make for them. And it's uh, some pretty big shoes to, to fill. But when you put that at the forefront of your mind all day long, it's really easy to be a parent if you just pretend that you're Jesus all the time. And I don't mean that, you know, that we're walking around, you know, in sandals and, you know, being perfect. It just means that you give your best. Yeah. And I think, I mean, whether you, you know, believe in Jesus or not, or where you are, the idea of service, right? Like I'm here to serve, I'm here to lay my life down for these people. Like that's the concept, right? Is I'm here for you. And I think if, I mean, clearly in everything you've said, I mean, I think that that's what anybody could put in one sentence is like, you've shown up for other people. Like you, Michael, have shown up for other people. Ask the question, like, how can I be the best version of me so that I can serve you? And the blessings that come from that or the rewards or the the life, whether that's joy or finances or contentment or whatever, those are the things that come from service. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I I look at the, the the service part of it. Even when you say service, you know, and I think it's not just my kids. I think about even just me going back and saying, was it my parents? You know, that were the ones that raised me. And I'm like, man, there was everybody that raised me. Mm. I tell you a story about my sister Crystal and the lesson. You know, yep. it was the neighbor down the street. It was the guy that gave me my first job that helped raise me. It was my brothers that took me along to teach me how to be a plumber that raised me. It was all those guys that were my father. Now let's talk about Paul. You know, and Paul did an interview. My nephew, for those of you that haven't listened to that 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 podcast, he, uh, my sister died when he was five months old, and his dad was not a fit father to raise him, and he had all of us as his fathers. He had yeah. your mom yep. and your dad, you know, parent him. Yep. Uh, I wanted to, to raise him, and it just wasn't in alignment with uh, with my lifestyle at the, at the time. And uh, as much as I, I wanted it to happen, it just... Uh, wasn't in God's time and um, but it didn't stop me from still being his father all the way up into his adult years I mean even uh, now he calls you for advice yeah yeah as do I and you know it's cool now you get to the yeah so it takes a village it takes a village and and I think that we need to surround ourselves with good people and not try to do it alone well Michael dude you I mean everybody loves Michael (laughs) and uh, you're incredible dad great friend good husband to to your wife as you know as we kind of end this is there any any last thoughts or anything you know that as you you, you're seeing your sons kind of get into that age where they're soon to be and and then your daughters will soon you know before you know it i guess they'll be going down that path too maybe of of family and stuff is is there any last thoughts that you have or anything you'd want to say before we we end Mm -hmm. our talk about fatherhood um you know, I would say to everybody that's listening that, you know, I, I thought about it the other day. I'd listened the very first podcast I listened to was from Larry. He's a pastor. Yeah. Uh, and uh, man, if he listens to this uh, props to you, brother, you are a superstar um, as far as uh, 
people who have a, a compassionate heart. Mm-hmm. This guy just really stood out to me. And I and as I listened to it, I went, man, I don't even hold a candle to, to, to this dude as a, as a dad because he's, you know, adopting a child from Ethiopia and he's just got this big, giant, loving heart. He's adopted a child from China. And, you know, the circumstances that, that fall into there, he's a pastor. He's taken his kids to to church and showing them his work day. He's teaching them their finances and showing them all these things. He's dating his wife on a daily basis, doing all the right steps. Um, and, and then I thought, you know, I, here I am a guy that got married and it didn't survive and I got divorced and then I had a broken home and I, and I have, you know, these scars from my kids that I'm constantly trying to, uh, make right and, cover up and and uh and compensate for in some way or another so that they don't have these these empty uh places in their hearts and at times you know you feel inadequate as a a dad and sometimes you just go should i you know just is it worth trying Hmm. is it worth continuing to or am i just kidding myself and and um and then when i step back for a little bit and i look at the fruit and I hear the stories that you tell of, of just how, you know, well-rounded you see my children and how you see, you know, uh, the impact that I've made on them and the impact that I've made on so many other people, you know, the kids that aren't mine, you know, I sat in here and counseled a kid last night for a couple hours with one of my son's friends who's, uh, who's struggling in life. Um, my advice to any of you, whether you have children or you don't have children, is to offer what you have. Give what you have. All of us have different skills. God created us all differently. One can be a pastor. One can be the hand. One can be the foot. One can be the mouthpiece. Uh, whatever your your talent is, offer it in some way or another to better somebody's life, and it will make a difference. Mm. It will come back to you. You can't outgive God, and these are His people. His His Word says that whatever you do unto the least of them, you've done unto Me. And so, you know, if you see uh, you know, that part of your village, wherever you live, uh, whether it be uh, someone old, someone young. Uh, or a parent who's just struggling because they don't have the answers, help them raise their kids. Maybe they just need you to play with their kid for five minutes hmm. while they, you know, just take a breath at a park, you know, just say, I just needed a break for a minute and, and just some help. Be that for somebody. It makes a difference. All of it makes a difference. And, and this, you know, uh, mission that you're on, Ned, of, of cultivating fatherhood, it's really, it's cultivating community. It's it's cultivating uh, just mentorship yeah. uh, in so many ways to, to so many people that need it. And uh, anymore as a society, we've become so desensitized to human interaction because we, we text and we Facebook and we, we have these virtual reality lives uh, and we're missing out on the human element, the human touch uh, with people. So get out there and go be involved and, uh, and don't be afraid to use what you have because the littlest that you have is more than giving nothing dude i love it what you have i think uh rich man wise words really good well michael i love you i think you're incredible dude i've always looked up to you i thank you for sharing your your wisdom with us and um, i know that it'll go a long way because you gave us what you had and you shared 
good stories and, and, and years of wisdom and just keep being yourself and keep loving people the way you do. Yeah, thank you, brother. I love you too, man. I'm very proud of you. And I'm really looking forward to, to see the impact that what you're doing you know, will make a difference in people's lives for years and years to Heck come. Heck yeah. I hope so. I appreciate it. It yeah. matters. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Does. Peace out. Man, what another killer conversation around fatherhood. Uh, what great wisdom Michael shared with us. A couple things that really stuck out to me um, was knowing when to step back with your kids, knowing, you know, having discernment as kind of like when to let them experience things and you not have your hands in every single thing. Um, I loved the giving what you have. Like, don't focus so much on what we don't have, but look at what you do have to give, whether that's time or resources. Like, what are the resources that you have and how do you give those to those that have been placed in your care and those that you just come across? That's really what I feel about fatherhood is that it's not just about having kids. It's this posture towards life. It's the way that you and I, as men who have found ourselves as fathers, see the world. Like, we're here. We need to take care of anything and everything that's put in front of us and I think that listening to Michael you know that you that he's made that part of his life and that's what I want for myself and for you too and I just want to give a shout out to you right now as you're driving or working out or whatever you're doing you matter man and being a father is really difficult really really important and as I go back and listen to these conversations I just think to myself this is amazing that we're talking about this, and my hope is that you and I, we go into our world with a little bit more encouragement, knowing who we are and who we're called to be, and that we're not alone. So I just want to uh, just thank all you dads out there listening to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That's who your kids, your spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. And please, if you enjoyed this conversation, share it with a friend and write a review. All of that helps spread the word that fatherhood matters.